Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome in, everybody. Another episode of the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's Nose and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, joined once again by friend of the pod, Luke Winstell. Luke, it's been a busy day for uh, for you covering Clemson football. How are you, my friend? Doing great. Always better when you have a commitment story to go with it. So, been a great day, and thank you for having me on. It's always an honor to join you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Clemson, one of the schools that is. Uh, Right there at the top now, a consensus top 10 class after a a big time haul here in the month of June. We're going to talk about that and uh, how it relates to the balance of power of what I've entitled this episode, essentially uh, figuring out who has it, who doesn't have it, who's trying to get it and how they're going about it. Uh, Basically, it's kind of a almost a referendum on the state of college football. And I thought no better guest uh, than Luke, who's obviously been on with us before. So uh, Luke, let's start here. Uh, you know, you you currently cover Clemson football, and and recruiting has been at the center of the college football world. June has become maybe the biggest month outside of December for recruiting headlines, guys committing, um, you know, getting those verbal pledges in. So walk me through the state of Clemson recruiting right now, and uh, specifically what's been so exciting about these last two months or so. Yeah, some of the most exciting parts for Clemson are the 2024 class. They've been able to, you know, get out to a good start at some positions that they really needed to hit on in the 2024 cycle. So we're looking at spots like wide receiver, spots like safety potentially. Now having a couple of four stars committed, so it's looking at in the future what are positions of need going to be in roster management. Clemson's been able to execute on that, and then also in the 2025 class, they've had this run of 2024s in June, which is similar to what they did last year. They like their one official visit weekend, which is a bold move because they put all their OVs in the summer on one weekend instead of spreading them out. But they do it, and it's been successful. Last year, June run of commitments. This year, another June run. And you take a look at a couple of receivers coming in, Brian Wesco being one of them, and TJ Moore. There's some big names, some top 100 names involved. So For the Tigers, their strategy, it seems like at times, we talked about this last time, feels like sometimes they play with one hand behind their back. You know, they don't have to do the things they do in terms of just one OV weekend. You could have done several and hosted a lot more guys or done things differently. But they go by the Clemson way, and it's been working. And even sometimes we start to think, well, maybe this isn't going to work this year. And they've pulled it off in the 24 class. In the 25 class, they've been able to fortify a little bit of the basis and the origins of that offensive group. So they've got a top 100 running back committed, four-star quarterback. So with those two, they can build around them. They've got their anchors ready. So it's encouraging in the 24 class, but the 25 class, they've got some commitments that are earlier in the cycle than we're used to seeing and came within a month of them really picking up the Clemson offer. 
Yeah, and you know what's so interesting about that? The twenty four class, you know, this is this is the time that guys are are inking commits. But like you said, the twenty twenty five class, this is early by any standards to have you know one, two, let alone uh, a couple of guys committing. And I think you know that opens up a, a broader line of questioning that I have about Clemson. And you and I have talked about this uh, off the air before. Dabo Sweeney has such a unique kind of approach to the game, right? And and whether it be NIL or the transfer portal or just how he does recruiting, I think you have to start with here in 2023, what kind of is the temperature on Dabo and, and where uh, do Clemson fans feel like they're positioned as they try and climb that mountain to knock off a team like Georgia? Right. Well, obviously at Clemson, the attitude is, hey, it hasn't been good enough the past couple of years, not making the college football playoff. Like the best is the standard is still kind of a thing at Clemson. So understanding, you know, you really got to win the conference, which they did last year, but you've got to get into the playoff picture again. And now recruiting, the biggest thing, I think the biggest reason fans follow it, the biggest reason we follow it, it gives you hope. It helps you envision a future. It helps you say, hey, these are some high ceiling types of guys that are coming into the program. So because of the recruiting momentum and the June run really solidifying the fact that Clemson's recruiting is always going to be either in the top 10 or in the discussion to be top 10. And that's where it is right now. Even after a couple of years that weren't up to their standard, they're still there. They're still recruiting. They've still got these master guys like Mickey Kahn that goes all over Georgia and picks up four stars every year. They've got six commits already from Georgia in the 24 class. And then guys like Nick Easton that pretty much get their pick of defensive linemen, you know, Lemansky yeah. Hall, edge guys with him, that little dynamic duo of those two guys. So because of that, They've continued to recruit. They've continued to say, okay, the offense wasn't good enough. Get the new offensive coordinator, new quarterback. So right now it's the understanding that, sure, they haven't been where they can be, but they've done what they need to do to give themselves the opportunity to get back. And there's the thought this year that, hey, if Klubnik is good, if Riley is good, Clemson's back. They win the ACC. They you know take out Florida State and – I think it's week four. Everyone's mm -hmm. got that one circled. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if Clemson's firing on all cylinders, then they take care of Florida State, they go through the ACC, and then they're back. So there's the chance right now that you can realistically, as a Clemson fan that's not wishing for too much, you can say, okay, I see the future. I see where it's going. And if not, the 24 class is going to bring in a new group of playmakers, a new group of defensive backs to help replenish a couple of positions. So there's the chance that, hey – Clemson's still within striking distance. That's how it feels. And, you know, I, I feel like folks have have overreacted over the last couple of years, right? It, it hasn't been up to the standard of making a national championship or even making the college football playoff, but at least nationally, someone sitting uh, in the central time zone, you know, I've watched Clemson and gone, yeah, last year their offense stunk. Like, straight up, it did. Uh, but... If your down season is 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 ten and two, uh, and an ACC championship, and listen, the the Orange Bowl happened. I get that. It is what it yeah. is. Um, but still, that that floor, raising that floor to such a level where recruits never experience a true dip, right? A true rebuild, I think, is so important to this discussion of the balance of power. 
programs like Clemson might fade out of the foreground, but they don't leave the stage completely. And so while you have teams like Georgia, like Ohio State now, USC coming back to prominence, uh, you know, I feel like Alabama is in a very similar, maybe entering a similar arc, right? Where all of a sudden they're not contending for that national championship, at least they didn't last year, and they didn't look all that impressive uh, at times on offense or on defense. Yet it seems like there's a little bit of an oligarchy going on where the main programs still run college football. My question to you is one, do you feel like that's still true, that the Blue Bloods are still the only contenders for a national title? And, you know, then if so or if not, is the transfer portal NIL providing new paths for more competition around the league? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So... Loaded question here with what Very. you're going at. Um, and no problem with that. Um, when you look at these teams in college football, you're going to see programs like Clemson have to say, okay, if we want to stay at the top, we have to change. And they've begun making changes. I've been around some NIL conversations at Clemson that they weren't having a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, for example. There's things that are starting at Clemson of saying, hey, we've got to get into the NIL business. And Coach Sweeney, it seems like his kind of – understood that as well with what's happened and saying, Hey, what could happen if we stay out of this race? It doesn't look great. And, you know, when you look at, you know, the athletic director, Graham Neff, he's a younger guy, he gets it. They're promoting that. So for these blue blood programs, a lot of them, even if it's slowly like Clemson, they've started to shift into this era of the NIL, the transfer portal and understanding how they can use that to their benefit and also keeping their culture or keeping a semblance of their culture. So we're seeing things like next year, this year Clemson didn't have the scholarship spots. There's still one spot over, so they couldn't have portaled this year. But next year, I think we could see Clemson look at it. They did target at least one player that I heard of in the portal this year, but weren't able to get that done. So we're looking at those programs adapting Alabama, of course, figuring out how to use transfers to get their offense bolstered and that's helped them. But also around the league, we're looking at some of the teams like you look at Kent State, their best players are getting taken elsewhere. Other yep. programs are taking them. And a lot of the programs that are getting those kinds of players are ones that are trying to step up toward the top. Some guys like I've heard from coaches that have talked to coaches at a school like Western Kentucky, and they understand that, you know, sure, their players are probably when they go on and they're all conference, they're going to take a look at the portal. Yeah, And the understanding from that is that 
it may not be a school like Alabama or Georgia that's taking the mid-major guys, but some of the ones that are the tier below or in that mid-conference uh, level will go and snag those guys. Like Penn State got a couple of really good ones out of the portal from some of the smaller Division One schools, and that helps them try to claw and compete to reshape the balance of their conference with Michigan and Ohio State and add depth. So we're seeing that you know, we had that blue blood kind of feeling with Alabama Clemson back and forth, back and forth for a few years in the mid to late 2010s. And Mm -hmm. now I think we're getting a chance at other teams. Like we saw Tennessee this past year coming within striking distance because of a transfer quarterback and some position where they're able to add talent. So those things to me say, I think, yes, it benefits the very top, but it also can benefit the next three or four teams in the conference that can add a little depth, a little more parity, a little more to those big power five conference and those teams. So that's sure. what I'm seeing a lot of, of those types of schools rating the smaller school rosters and being able to use that to bolster the depth to close the gap at the top. Yeah. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a perfect solution to kind of protect some of the smaller schools other than having guys like a Malachi Corley at Western Kentucky who just decides to stay, right? Just decides to play for the Hilltoppers for another season. Um, and we as fans who, you know, love the game of college football, not just one team, we applaud that, right? Like we're in a spot where we, you shouldn't expect that. So now that that almost seems special when a guy decides, no, I'm going to stay here and, and invest in the program that I originally committed to. Um, with With all of that, a team that we haven't mentioned quite yet, at least dived into, is Georgia. They're the kings of the hill. They've won back-to-back titles. Uh, there's a really good case to be met, uh, made that they go for a three-peat this season with how you know strong or lack thereof uh, their 2023 schedule is. From a recruiting standpoint, and for those that don't know, Luke, also very familiar with uh, with the Georgia football program, certainly some ties there. With what they're having to do as, as the king tries to remain the king, what is Georgia's biggest hurdle to staying on top of that heap and, and continuing to gain more power, at least maintain the balance of power as it sits right now? Well, right now at Georgia, they've had, I think one of the things I'm looking at is offensive line recruiting and those evaluations. So Sam Pittman stacked up the O-line when he was at Georgia and had these big recruits and he developed them. And now under Coach Searles, it's a different strategy. So I'm curious to see, like, that's one of the positions where Georgia's taken some guys that are lower rated or guys you haven't heard of. And I've learned a lot of times that means the industry and the recruiting side has missed and not the coaches at Georgia. I very quickly learned that this past weekend. For example, Quintavious Johnson out of Mays, he's a defensive lineman that just committed to Georgia. Three-star, I'm not sure he was even a consensus top 400, top 500 guy, but he's from the Atlanta public school system. They don't get a lot of exposure. And as soon as I went to go see him and saw him play – the defensive lineman was playing coverage linebacker in seven on seven. And I was watching him move and watching his speed and looking at the body type. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, the industry just got that wrong, you know, and they're going to fix it. You're going to see him as probably a four star, even if it's a low four star rating to start and they'll slowly yeah. bump him up as they get to know him better. 
Yeah, you're going to see, see those changes, and we have. So for George on the offensive line, I look at the recruiting, and we five stars in you know 2018, 19, you know, I think even 20 classes at the O line. We're not seeing that quite as much, and I think we're going to see some of that come in here. But I just look at that of the uh, the O line group continuing to be strong. I think if they stay strong, George is going to continue to be borderline impossible to beat with you know what they've brought in elsewhere their defense and you know I think defensively you got to keep coach Schumann and you know Muschamp maybe we'll see what happens with him because he's right. had his chance at head coach but uh, Glenn Schumann to me seems to be the mastermind on the defense and recruiting and developing and you know I think pretty much every linebacker that started for him in the past five years is in the NFL now and you, yeah. know, you can look that up and those kinds of things that even guys like Channing Tindall that weren't big starters, he got drafted. He's playing in the NFL. So, you know, keeping Schumann, keeping things as they are, the offensive line, I do look at that recruiting and say, okay, this isn't what I'm used to. So I'm still, you know, learning what is the strategy? What are they looking to take? And, you know, how is that working? Because it's just not as big of names there in this class that we're seeing. So uh, long story short, it's going to be tough to beat, but it's maintaining offensive line and then letting Schumann continue to do his thing and paying him whatever he needs to stay on that Georgia defensive staff. Well, hey, I mean, I wonder if the, the Philadelphia Eagles chip in a little bit to the cause. I mean, it's it's the Philadelphia Bulldogs right now. So, you know, I don't know if yeah. I don't know if the Eagles hire some part time staff to kind of assist Georgia in their recruiting, maybe you know, cherry picking guys. Hey, we, we'd like him in, in four to five years. Um, it, it is a machine that Georgia has created and uh, Kirby uh, Smart and his staff are, are doing an amazing job. Uh, one of the things that we, we mentioned earlier as a big part of uh, an ingredient, if you will, in this balance of power, of course, is NIL. And that is kind of related in lockstep with the transfer portal and, you know, you're, you're seeing guys transfer three, four times uh, now during their career, whether NIL plays a major part of that, you know, I don't know that in uh, most cases we're ever going to fully know the details, but it's for sure something that's going on in the background. Today, as we're recording this on June the 27th, the NCAA released kind of like a fortification to their policy uh, on NIL, specifically targeting uh, the rules and clarifying it around what to do with state laws, what to do with uh, you know school foundations that are set up to offer uh, incentives and NIL promises and stuff like that. The major issue is because the NCAA went into this with no sort of guidelines, no sort of hand-holding, they just made it the Wild West, now every state has had to take it upon themselves to decide what their NIL laws are going to be. And, you know, Luke, from where I sit, the NCAA kind of retroactively trying to have teeth to this NIL law, even to say that it trumps state law, seems like a disaster waiting to happen. As someone who covers recruiting and, you know, is is in the thick of um, whether it's these discussions or, you know, seeing the fruits of donors, seeing the fruits of NIL collectives going to work. Do you think the NCAA is ever going to actually get out ahead of this? I think the way to get ahead of this is you're going to just have to continue, whether they choose to go through incrementalism and do this slow or try to slam it down, you've got to get towards a professional model if this is how it's going to be, because, 
people say, oh, you know, coaches leave all the time and they can do all this. Well, they have contracts that have been professionally negotiated. And there's the, if this happens, then this, if this happens, there's a buyout. If this happens, you're allowed to do this or go here, you know, whatever it is. And with these players, we don't have contracts and don't have terms of agreement. I think we're really running around a big mess in the NCAA. You know, you open Pandora's box, you don't just tell it all, you know, to get back in there. And this seemed like an attempt to me that I'm sure, you know, legally some of this is a little above my head here from the lawyer speak. But what I see is, you know, hey, there's moves to be made with NIL, but going with the whole NCAA law, Trump state law, like I think there were better things that could have been done at this point in the calendar. Uh, you could have maybe you focused on some other stuff to say the least, but I've seen with NIL, I've seen some things that have been really hard to watch. I've seen, you know, when you have people transferring or moving around or flipping commitments, there are consequences and usually you can't foresee them. There's adversity that usually you can't foresee. And, you know, that much is obvious. So for some guys, I I just worry about it because it seems like a, a clear idea and they're good kids and they have good intentions and they're doing what's best. Sometimes it doesn't work, but I've also seen other times where, walk-ons are able to pay their tuition through NIL and they're able to host camps for the community. So I've seen good things from it. I just think in terms of the organization of our sport, we've really got to get to see the contracts and the, if you leave, this is how this works. This is when this happens, how this happens. You sign the deal. You are here. You can't do this until here. You will make this much. Like that doesn't have to be public knowledge, but for the people that are in the athletics department, the coaches, the players, you know, I think we're starting to maybe go down the right direction with these portal windows that we've had of you can't just randomly hop in at any time. Yeah. But we've got a long way to go. And I'm I'm not sure how much this really did towards solving the root of the issues we're having. Well, you know, like where I am here in Texas, uh, the state has an NIL law that goes into effect on Saturday, right? So I think what you're saying is spot on from a timing perspective. I don't know that it gets more ineffective uh, because at this point, the NCAA is playing catch up at such a monumental level. You have states that have passed NIL laws. You've got others like Texas that are. Some still are, have, have yet to hop on the bandwagon, but now, you know, all the uh, all the, the cookies are out of the jar. And to try and stuff everything back in and say, no, 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 this is the way that it's going to be. We actually do know what we're doing. Um, I think they're going to drain their bank account if if they, you know, have to resort to legal action, which is kind of the only the only way I see that they they get their solution implemented. So um, in, in absolute mess uh, with that. With the NCAA being so, <laughs> a lot of things, but ineffective uh, is probably the best way to sum it up. You talked about the, the the probably the best way to go forward is to kind of systemize some of these solutions, the transfer portal, systemize NIL, put some sort of standard out there. Is the only way that we get to that if universities start treating athletes like employees like is it going to take that step in order to get kind of contracts solidified and and some sort of net foundation put in place i think some kind of a cba is in order maybe overdue Um, those kinds of collective bargaining of i think there's even a point where the players dip into tv money 
you know, if you're getting these billion dollar plus TV deals and the players don't get a cut, like I would have an issue with that if I'm a player. And I think that if the players were to get to the point where there is the collective bargaining, which Nick Saban and other people that are way smarter than I am have already talked about. So I don't have to hit on the points that they've already hit on, but they've talked about how we're leaning that direction. I think you start leaning that direction. You start saying, Hey, this TV money starts, you know, needs to look at maybe a 50, 50 or a 40 something percent of the athletes. Like I would have an issue with that. And I think people will. And I think you kind of can raise that line as well to where a, you know, $60,000 deal and recruiting to a player isn't going to be that big of a deal because of Mm -hmm. the TV money that they might get. And, I know some people say, oh, here we go. We're going even deeper into pro sports, but we've already crossed the line. Like, you know, these are the things that we should have been talking about in 2021 if you didn't want to professionalize the sport. So we missed that boat. And I think if we're really trying to organize NIL, if we're not, you know, we've been dealing with it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, I'm kind of indifferent on where it is right now from a personal standpoint, but I understand a lot of people want to organize it. Pretty much, you know, most of the coaches I talked to would hope for that. And if we're headed that direction, I think we're looking at CBAs, TV deals, you know, those kinds of things going forward, I think are are where we're headed. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It It is. Yeah. I mean, Pandora's box is open. I think you said it. Um, it is a little sad to me that, you know, any sort of guise of amateurism is now well and truly gone whether you know i I think we've known for a long time that a lot of these guys are not are not amateurs right whether they were however they were being compensated or they were being you know taken advantage of before they were able to be you know paid the the amateur model was not fair from a compensation standpoint from a business perspective not fair but it did give us this guys of you know hey they play for the the name on the front of their jersey not the back right they love the tradition they love the pageantry is it if we continue to go down this professionalism model which i think now because we're you know we've dumped sand in the living room i think the only thing you can do is build a sand castle out of it um do you think that ultimately turns college sports at least college sports like football like basketball maybe even baseball does that turn them into a minor league system for the pros or do you think that we've built something so special over the last hundred plus years that college football as an entity will still retain those elements that have made it so beloved so in our lifetime i don't think college football has really had an issue with the product and i don't really foresee that happening. So I am a firm believer college football can stand alone and there's things innately that make it different. For example, I'm from Atlanta. I didn't go to Atlanta Falcons university. Like I, you know, I grew up a Falcons fan, but you know, I didn't grow up in a community on a campus with these people and seeing their faces everywhere and watching their games and them being my age at the same time and really having those core memories. So that innately to me, the community aspect is different. The aspect of, you know, things as simple as a band, things as simple as your tailgates, your Saturday traditions, every school's got different stuff, dog walk, the things that, you know, in college guys give back. We've seen at Georgia, like, for example, you know, I'm a UGA kid. So 
I've seen the football players giving back to the community, whether it's food jobs or reading to kids in the community. Like, not the NFL guys don't do that, but they have to serve a broader, you know, for example, the Falcons serve like multiple states of fans, even. Right. So you look at a UGA or a Texas AM and you look at what makes that unique. Sure, the football product is a huge part of it, but the product was always good. It's always going to be good, and it's probably getting better as we go because these athletes are starting younger, training harder, bigger, faster, stronger, the whole deal. Recruiting is getting more refined. It's getting sharper than ever. It's harder to miss kids than it ever has been. So because of those kinds of things, I think the product is good, the tradition's good, the community's built. So, yeah, it may be a minor league model of, hey, the guy's goal, I mean, it's always been to go to the pros if you're good. But now you're looking at the fact, okay, they're getting paid, there's compensation. Because we've transformed college football into this multi-billion dollar product across the country, I think it's only fair that that was naturally to come. And when college football was a different world and there wasn't quite as much money involved and it could be amateur and that might be a little more fair, Sure, that's a separate brand and a separate game than we have now. But with where it's going, I think it's the point where, yeah, things are changing. But what we love about the game, the community, the tradition, and the good product together, that big three combination, I think we're going to have that. And, you know, as, as different as things get at the core, we're still going to have what we love. I didn't uh, I didn't prep you for this. So this is kind of the the, you know, two-edged sword that is uh you know live podcasting quote unquote uh you know i'm not gonna go back and and edit something uh out here but with the direction that college football is heading all of this restructuring all of this conference realignment what's your what's your temperature on it usc ucla going to the to the midwest to to play in the big 10 the pac-12 may be falling apart like is that a symptom of a larger issue, um, you know, with the health of college football, or is it simply just kind of restructuring as we move into a new, more lucrative era? So I think in the history of college football, you know, we haven't always had the realignment as significantly as we do now, but there's been some realignment and some big changes. And for example, I used to work in the Southern Conference, which, you know, now is like, Mercer and Furman and these schools. But back then there used to be schools that are now in the SEC, you know, 80 years ago that played in the Southern Conference. Um, So we've seen, you know, changes and rises and falls of different conferences. And I think, you know, for the Pac-12, for example, I think COVID's been a big part of their downfall of they didn't exactly seem to go in or out of the pandemic as well as some other schools. And that's up to, you know, your own opinion of what that means, but in terms of the the landscape of football, that conference since 2020 has continued to slide. So because of that, I am at this point, and I try to reserve my excitement because there's always unintended consequences of change, but I've always been one that loves the opportunity for more blockbuster in-season matchups. I've always thought like, you know, what if Georgia could play USC in week three. That would be really cool to me. Um, but, you know, instead of that, we'll have Michigan, USC and that kind of thing. Right. So Georgia, Texas, those are the things that I look out of. And I hope what we're getting towards with this is maybe extended conference schedules because the conferences are getting bigger. Maybe we get to nine games and then yeah. that's one less Charleston Southern game I have to sit through, you know, <laughs> and 
I hate to say it that way, but I mean that as a fan and as a reporter. There's not a ton we get out of, you know, Clemson versus Furman or, you know, Clemson versus Louisiana Tech yeah. and respect yeah. to those teams. But the fans want to see Clemson play Michigan or Clemson play UCLA <laughs> or, you know, Clemson play yeah. Georgia, for example, which we will be getting plenty of, I think, five in the next 11 years. Um, so that'll be exciting. And those kinds of things to me, we get like the one out of conference game, eight conference games, maybe three or four are good, depending on your school. Yeah. So I think we're getting towards the schedule in season, even though with the expanded playoff, they may not mean quite as much for who gets in or who does this. We're going to see more quality matchups and we're going to see national matchups. I like football as a regional sport, but because I like it as a regional sport, I want to see my region play your region. And I want to see, you know, what does the Midwest versus the South look like in a showdown? And I want to see it more than maybe once in a bowl game or twice in a year. So personally, I'm excited. I know there's unintended consequences of these things, but uh, that's something that right now I try to stay optimistic on because I know a lot of the change, you know, can bother people. So I try to say, hey, look at the bright side. We've got Georgia, Texas in 2024 and UCLA, you know, playing Michigan or Ohio State. Those kinds of things are exciting to me. That's right. You're just a realist like me. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we're not going back. So let's make the best of it. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the way I choose to look at a lot of a lot of things in our sport as well. Um, well, Luke, this has been insightful. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, certainly appreciate you giving us some of some of your time here. Uh, I think I'd love to have you back on for you know our ACC preview. Where we've got preview season is is coming down the barrel at us, which is a ton of fun. Uh, before we go, as it stands right now, like I said, June twenty seventh. Who do you kind of expect to compete for that national title and uh, and come out on top in 2023? Right now, I'm one of those that will tell you Georgia until proven not Georgia, just because of the machine that they've built. The defense, the thing for me, defensively, a lot of the guys that are stepping up now are guys that I covered in recruiting. So I've seen what Georgia does of the freak athlete. And they weren't always the most refined players. They were guys that I say, oh, you know, I'm writing in my notebook. Maybe he needs to see a trainer a little more, like those kinds of things. Of If he's refined, he is super dangerous, not the NFL caliber. And I've seen them, and I've seen guys like Smile Mondin. He's actually the first recruit that I really covered as a recruiting analyst. And seeing him come up and now look at him being maybe a top 50 draft pick and stepping into even more of a leadership role in the fall – I look defensively and say, okay, this is more of the plug and play of the guys that left are being replaced by guys with a similar mold with high ceilings. And I tend to trust in that with the easier schedule. And offensively, I do believe in Carson Beck. I think his ability to distribute the ball is going to be enough for Georgia to at least make a playoff appearance this year. So I'm looking at Georgia. I'm looking at teams like, you know, Clemson or Florida State. I think whoever wins that game probably is a shoe into the playoff and I'll, I'll be curious to see the PAC 12. I really am. I know I've said the conference is sliding, but I'm rooting for them in their last year with UCLA and USC right. to put together one push and see if we can get a playoff team out there. And of course I'm one of those that would tell you, even though Michigan's won the past two over Ohio state, I'd pick them out of that conference this year. I've been very impressed with Ohio state. So even their quarterback, you know, Devin Brown or McCord, I'd, I think they're doing just fine up there. So 
those are some of the teams that I'd look at. I love it, man. I love it. Well, uh, again, thanks for hopping on. Let the people know where, where can they find you? You're, you're doing awesome work, um, on the recruiting trail, social media, writing a ton as well. Um, yeah, let, let folks know where they can go find you. Yeah. Thank you. So I am at Luke Winstel. Last name is W I N S T E L. And that's Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you want to find me. YouTube is Winstel Media and post a lot of interviews, a lot of video content. It's definitely how we like to do things over here and get to cover the South and see some Clemson guys and Georgia guys and games on Saturday in the fall. So really looking forward to it for sure. Man, well, I'm looking forward to keeping up with you uh, on social media. Looking forward to having you again on the pod. I think ACC preview season would be a ton of fun to get you back on. Um, Luke, I appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks so much for hopping on, and I uh, hope you have a, rest, a great rest of your day. Awesome. Thanks. You too. Guys, thanks so much for listening, tuning in to another episode here of The Three Technique. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at 3TechPod. Also, head on over, check out our YouTube channel if you're listening to the podcast right now. If you're on the YouTube channel watching this, uh, so glad to have you. We're growing really, really quickly, and uh, it's, it's thanks to, uh, to viewers like you. We really do appreciate it. For Luke Winstell, my name's Mitch Mason. Until next time, so long, everybody. Gracious, yeah. how about that?